Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together, Cameron and I will talk about John Calvin, in particular, the delights of reading Calvin. Whether it's his magnum opus of systematic theology, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, or one of his many commentaries on scripture, reading Calvin, regardless of how much of his theology you share, is a remarkable experience, full of insight into the ways of God, but also the labyrinth of human nature. Whenever I think about John Calvin, or about the city of Geneva, the hub of Calvin's efforts at Reformation, I'm always reminded of these words. Geneva existed because of its moral strength. It had no territory, no army, nothing for space, time, and matter. It was the city of the spirit built out of stoicism upon the rock of election by grace. In this dusky garden bloomed blood-red roses under the hand of Calvin for the salvation and freedom of the soul. If there be any need for martyrs in Europe, the need of a man to be burned or broken upon the wheel, this man is in Geneva, ready to go with the singing of psalms. That's from the French historian Jules Michelet. He may not have been a fan of Calvin's, but he had to concede that when it came to Geneva, there was something different. It would be hard to overstate the influence of Calvin's thought on the development of the modern world, but this episode isn't about the greatness of the man so much as the goodness of his work. It's hard to think of anyone in church history, at least in the last 500 years or so, who has been more maligned, more misunderstood. There's a simple antidote to all of this, which is simply to read him. Just when you think you don't need Calvin, he drags you back in. I had this experience as I was preparing for my sermon on the last half of Matthew 2, where I decided I was going to go ahead and not look at Calvin's commentary. And I had... What I thought was a good reason, which is Calvin's commentary on the Synoptic Gospels harmonizes them. And so as you're reading through, he basically takes the texts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he arranges them so that as you're going through, you're, you're kind of jumping around chronologically or, you know, it's, it's been synthesized. And for whatever reason, that just bugs me. You know, if I'm preaching on, on Matthew 2. I just want to read about Matthew 2. I don't want to jump around more than I have to. And so I thought, oh, you know, I I don't need to. I've spent a lot of time in the text. I've read other commentaries. I'll just give Calvin a pass. But at the last moment, as I'm ready to go, I thought I would just dip into Calvin because it's always nice when you hear Calvin repeating things that you've already thought of (laughs) and just confirming that that you did understand everything. And so I started reading Calvin on Matthew 2, and it was mind-blowing. There is a moment there where he's talking about Joseph and, and the flight to Egypt, and he talks about you know, how Joseph would have been tempted 
by this command to flee because in flight there is no appearance of divine protection. And that line just rung a bell in my head in a way that that all my contemplation of this, uh, there, there was something I couldn't put into words. And, and at that moment, there it was. And so I just kept devouring Calvin. And I would highly recommend anyone who's interested in, in, in what's going on in Matthew 2 to go back and read Calvin's commentary on this because it is so full of insight. And it was a good reminder for me of one of the reasons I appreciate Calvin's work so much. I mean, obviously, as a Presbyterian minister, you're just going to assume, well, you love Calvin, of course, because of the five points of Calvinism or something like that. But people often have an impression of Calvin that's based more on caricatures and misconceptions than on a firsthand experience of his writing. So those of us who love him for his writing have a very different view of who he is and how he thinks and what he cares about than someone who only knows him from the caricature. And so I thought it would be interesting just to talk for a little bit about our mutual love for the writing of John Calvin and how it's not just a question of, let's say, agreeing on theology, you know, like I love the guy because he believes what I believe or something <laughs> like that, that there's really something about the quality of his, his intellect, his observations, his keen understanding of human psychology, his insight into scripture that, that just makes reading him a delight despite the obstacle of what are often anachronistic translations. Yeah. It's interesting to me that it was almost the turn of phrase that you encountered in him that, that really got you, you know, it, I mean, it was the theology, but it was the way he expressed his theology. And I, I think that goes to show just the complexity of, of Calvin as a, a person. We often think of him as doctrinaire or rigid, but, and, and maybe he was at times, but he was much more than that. Um, you know, he was just a great writer and he was, so he was influenced by, by legal thought, by Renaissance thought, by by philosophy of his time. He was a really kind of a man of letters, even before he came to Christ. And that comes through even in his commentaries later in his life. You know, he doesn't just leave it all behind. He's he's doing good theology, but he's doing it really beautifully. Yeah, I think that broad knowledge and that broad reading is one of the things that makes him such a fantastic exegete. You know, he's familiar with how the church fathers read certain passages. He's got a good sense of contemporary readings. And he also just brings his own original perspective. And as a result, like, this is the crazy thing. I mean, you know, Calvin's commentaries are written in the 1500s, and there are areas of scholarship where we now know more than was known then. There are textual questions, translations. So there's, there's a lot of stuff where we can bring more insight to bear. And yet, even when he's wrong on the facts on the ground, oftentimes he has a way of still being right <laughs> on a higher level that is astonishing to me. And so I, I think I've come to appreciate his commentaries and his other theological writings as companions. 
because you do get a sense of the the love that he has for scripture, the love that he has for God, and the rigor and and originality of his intellect that that just makes him a good fellow traveler as you're studying these things. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned caricatures earlier, and I I feel like we have to address caricatures of him. Um, you know, there are there are Calvinists, there is Calvinism, and there is Calvin. And I think all three of those in some ways can be f- distinguished or encountered differently. And I think I encountered Calvinists first and then Calvinism second as it's come down through the centuries. And it wasn't until seminary, like we've talked about on the podcast, where I really encountered Calvin himself for the first time. And, and so how did that happen? How did I encounter Calvin? Right. Tell us the story. Sure. Well, so I went to Princeton Seminary, which is a a Presbyterian seminary. And although it is a more left-leaning seminary, there are still vestiges of of Calvin himself around the place. And in fact, I I would like to thank Ellen Cherry, if you're out there listening. Um, She's not. She's a phenomenal scholar. But for my intro to systematic theology course, she used the Institutes, Calvin's Institutes, which the other professors thought was a little bit, you know, sketchy that we're still doing this. But that was the first encounter. So moving kind of systematically through various doctrines. And that was that was a good introduction. For the first time, I was thinking, okay, this is a little different from what people had told me reading him for myself. It wasn't until my final year in seminary, though, where I took a class just on Calvin himself with um, uh, George Hunsinger was the professor, and we just read through almost the entire, I mean, both books of the Institutes in one semester, and that was that was a riveting experience, and that was Calvin in the purest form I had ever read him, though it was still translated, of course. And I, I just found all these things that we've been talking about. Like, he's he really is just a phenomenal writer. During his time, he was, he was the best thinker around. I just, I think it's kind of like inarguable. He he is so precise in his arguments and so profound in his conclusions. And yet he loves God and he loves scripture and he he brings all of those things together. And he's just this dynamic man who has this huge impact, obviously across the world, but to read him for yourself really is a different experience than to get him through others, even through the, the church history is a little bit different, but going to him directly is, is great. There is a, you know, speaking of caricatures, conception of who Calvin is that suggests that Calvin and Machiavelli were kind of two peas in a pod. And if anything, Calvin was the worst of the two. <laughs> and people have a very sort of negative view of Calvin and his his horrible doctrines and that sort of thing. And I think the firsthand experience of him, just reading him for yourself, you begin to see just how far off base that caricature is, that this is not a, a dark, malevolent theologian. This is a guy who is enthralled to grace and is attempting with his every fiber to be faithful to what he sees in scripture. And it's not a question of, you know, agreeing on every little point, 
it's more a question of, of coming to appreciate the value of his contribution. And we look back on, on, let's say, the shapers of the modern world. And whether you agree with someone like Marx or Freud or Darwin or you know, whatever, you can see the way that their thought has shaped modernity. I think what we often overlook is that Calvin's thought had a similar impact on the world that we live in. It's just so profound that we're often unconscious of the ways in which Calvinism, the, the, the thought of the Reformation, has shaped the world that we live in. Do you have any examples well, we've talked before about uh, politics and the way that the political thought coming out of the Reformation has done so much to shape a lot of our modern, like a lot of Enlightenment uh, political projects. You know, certainly in North America, when you look at our history, there's a huge debt to the Reformation as mediated through the Puritans and and you you almost can't overstate the shaping effect on on us as a result of that so that a lot of our our let's say underlying assumptions are influenced by reformation thought in the way that a lot of them are influenced by hellenistic thought but we are largely unconscious of that because we just think of it as common sense right. you know this is just self evident but it wasn't always self-evident, right? So I think there's a lot of that kind of influence. Um, I often reflect on J.I. Packer's introduction to John Owen's book, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. And it is essentially Packer's explanation of and defense of Calvinism, quote unquote. But the point that he's trying to make there is that, that Calvinism proper is a much larger thing than just, you know, the five points or just the soteriological question that it's, it's an all encompassing thing because it's about pursuing the idea of the sovereignty of God everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that on the soteriological question, Calvinism says God saves sinners, period. But on the larger question, it is God is sovereign everywhere. Right. And that if you pursue that line, there's just no way to essentially give God more glory. Like you're giving him all the credit for everything that is good. And in that, I think you have a very uh, generous, but also very accurate view of what Calvinism, uh, again, quote unquote, at its best is and ought to be. Obviously, there are plenty of people who use the label and don't live up to those aspirations. And, and a large part of that is there a lot of people who identify with the label, but don't have a lot of firsthand experience of the writings of Calvin Mm -hmm. haven't actually read that much of Calvin. And so I guess what I would encourage anyone who, either on the one hand has a negative impression of Calvin or on the other hand strongly identifies with Calvin, (laughs) but isn't very familiar with with what he actually wrote to read some Calvin and, and get to know him 
for yourself. You may find that you don't agree with him as much as you thought you did, or you agree with him a lot more than you thought you did, but you'll definitely find a companion in that theological journey who will astonish you with his insights and with the the way that he constantly encourages you towards a greater appreciation, a greater love of God. The last thing I might add, as you're reading your Calvin, there's a biography that we read in my class that I found particularly interesting, just learning more about his life. Of course, that's a biography. It's just called Calvin by Bruce Gordon. I believe it's Yale University Press and a fairly recent biography, but fascinating to learn about his his upbringing in particular, and then how his, I mean, he, he really did have a conversion to Christ and how that changed everything afterwards. So we can put that in the show notes, I'm sure. Sure, sure, absolutely. We'll do that. And uh, lots of good books you can read about Calvin for sure. And I guess I'll just say there's just no substitute for going to the source. That's all the time we have for now. If you're interested not just in reading about Calvin, but actually reading him, then there's no better place to start than the beginning of the Institutes. In the show notes, I'll include a link to Banner of Truth's edition of the 1541 version of the Institutes. It's a recent translation and it should give you a good start. I'll also put a link to a selection of his writings titled John Calvin, Steward of God's Covenant, which includes a preface by Marilyn Robinson. In the show notes, you'll also find links to the biography that Cameron recommended, Bruce Gordon's book, Calvin, and a link to J.I. Packer's introduction to John Owen's book, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ, which is a classic short exposition on Calvinism. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next time. And in the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.